scouring our vinyl collections to bring you great songs by unknown artists and unknown songs by great artists. I'm Joe. And I'm Ryan, and we're glad you found the best place in the all of the internet to find weird songs from weird people. And that's what we're here for. So, uh, as always, we like to start with a little bit of music trivia. You know more than I know. You know more. Okay, so I'm going to start. Uh, every every show we have both an audio quiz and then we have a question quiz. I'm going to start with the audio quiz today. It's going to be a series of five questions. So I'm going to play five audio tracks, each about 20 or 30 seconds. So I want you to name the artist, title, and at the very end, tell me what the theme is of these. Okay, artist, title, and theme that connects all theme. five songs. Yep, that's it. All right, do I get a hint? No. Okay. We're then going to reveal the answers at the very end. If you are struggling at the end, I will give you a hint at the end. Okay. I'm going to need a bailout here. All right. Track one. songs um i want artists song and the theme do i do i get partial credit if i know the artist but not the song you get yeah, yeah one point for artist one point for song and three points for theme Whew. all right all right that's right i'll see what i can do i scored a, i got a perfect score by the way <laughs> did you yeah yeah well yeah yeah 
I'm not going to get a perfect score, I don't think. But <laughs> I, I'll be on the board. I'll be on the board. I, I'm going to let it rattle around a little bit, too. Okay. Hopefully this one isn't super tough. I tried to make the tracks a little bit longer, but I did kind of find some harder parts of the songs to name. Great. To song. For my quiz, it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to give you the – I want you to go ahead and answer uh, right now. And uh, my quiz has to do with band record covers. So record covers that have been too offensive that they had to be pulled or changed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the name of the album, and I want you to, A, tell me what caused the album to get banned or the album cover, and then, B, what was done to fix it, either what they did or uh, what they changed it to. Okay? Okay. Um, okay. I through this and tried to do pretty popular albums, and I left most of, uh, like, hair metal albums out of this quiz. It's not really our wheelhouse and some of them are just so bad uh okay. so i think most of them you'll know a few of them you might not so okay are you ready yes all right so i'll give you the the album you give me why was it banned or pulled and what they changed to or what they did all right first one's a, a softball john and yoko's two virgins uh because there was frontal nudity right right and, and what did they do to change it they put it into a brown uh, wrapper, I believe. Yep. And then they kind of cut out the name of the album and stuff like that. There's actually frontal nudity on the front and, and on the back. back. Yeah, there's backal nudity. There. There's backal nudity. That's right. That's right. Okay. That was easy. I knew you'd get that one. All right, next one. Frank Zappa and the Mothers, Only In It For The Money. Oh, wow. I don't remember this one. I, do, I don't know this one. I don't remember. Okay. It was a mockery of the Sgt. Pepper cover. And it yeah, only came out like that. a year after. And, okay. Uh, I think uh, uh, the Beatles company wasn't very happy about it. And so they switched it to a picture of the band. Oh, okay. So I knew the cover. I just didn't know. I didn't. I don't think I'd ever even heard that it had been um, uh, redone. I've only seen the Beatles cover version. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, it's a pretty funny cover. It's a pretty funny cover. All yeah. right, you should know this one. Jimi Hendrix, Electric Ladyland. Oh, that's, that's where he's surrounded by naked women? He, he, yeah, there's no he's there's just pictures of him, but there's 19 topless ladies yeah. on the front and back cover. Okay. And the funny story about this is that that was not what he wanted, and it was not going to be what the cover was going to be. But they the album art didn't get to the UK publisher in time, so they just decided to go with that. And it turned out okay. a famous album art, but uh, maybe not the best one. And they replaced it with just kind of a fuzzed out picture of him. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. This next one I know you're going to get. David Bowie, Diamond Dogs. Oh, because it's the, um, when you do the uh, pull-out, the fold-out, there's a uh, large dog penis there. Yes, yes, dog dog. And testicles. Yes, yes, and, you know, Bowie's head, or is it his, his, the second half of his body is uh, on on that, so uh, you can definitely tell that they airbrushed it out to solve it. Yes, yeah. All right, next one. Rolling Stones, Beggar's Banquet. Oh, wow. I didn't know that this... I know it's the um, it's the toilet picture uh, with the graffiti. I didn't know it had been censored. Another one that I just didn't know. Um, I know that they uh, there was a version with just white where it said Beggar's Banquet, and then there was a version with a toilet, I think, on it. And, uh, yes, you're right. You're right. I'll give you points for that. It got banned because it contained a toilet. That was the only reason. There was no other reason. Uh, okay. Um, so... There was a water closet record from a few years before. I forget what it was when I was researching. It also got banned just because there was a toilet. 
Um, and so it switched to like what you said. It's kind of switched to just kind of a white cover, but it was supposed to be kind of like a formal invitation card that had okay. the name. So pretty so good. So where you were, you're invited into the water closet. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the, as I was looking up this in Spain, uh, the sticky fingers cover with the Andy Warhol with the zipper and the underwear, it got replaced by a can of fingers, like a can, uh, this open can with fingers coming out of it, which is <laughs> way worse. I don't know how they could. You should maybe we should try to link it to the to the Spanish uh, sticky fingers cover because it's horrifying. Roxy Music Country Life. Yeah, it was uh, two women uh, with see-through bras um, and in front of a lot of uh, greenery, and they replaced it with just the shrubs, I think. And that actually, I think, if I'm right, that that cover is actually rarer now and more uh, desirable. Yep, that is that is exactly right. The two women in the picture of the original cover were the sister and girlfriend, respectively, of Cannes guitarist Michael Caroli. No, weird. <laughs> nice. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. Got a good-looking family, I guess. Okay. Speaking of cans. All right, Dead Kennedy's Frankenchrist. Um, it's because it came with a poster of uh, the penis poster by H.R. Geiger. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. What did they replace it with? I, gosh, I thought that they just I, they either just took the poster out or Jello Biafra took them to court and they didn't actually change it. No, they did actually change it. They okay. changed it to, because that was going to be the front cover, but uh, they changed it to a picture of a... The, uh, the guys bones. on... Yeah. Is it the, the old guys? Mezes. Okay. Yeah. Great album cover. And then those Shriners went back and they sued the Dead Kennedys for use of the picture without permission. Oh, man. What a bunch of penises. Yeah. Yeah. What a bunch of H.R. Geiger's penis landscape. Um, this landscape, that's what it was. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. All right, uh, this one, uh, what, Jane's Addiction's Ritual de lo Habitual. It's more famous for what it changed to. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it's, man, I know that there's like, it's almost like a painting, piece of artwork, with isn't it, with, with two things facing each other? I, I don't I don't remember. I yeah, remember it was just naked male and female, kind of an, uh, an artsy-type rendition. But it got changed to the text of the First Amendment. Wow, I didn't know that one either. And that seems so recent uh, that it shouldn't have been censored. Okay. (laughs) But the funny thing is, Perry Farrell kind of anticipated that his record cover would get banned. So he went ahead and he (laughs) had both both covers ready. (laughs) So he knew Uh, he was going to get banned. (laughs) So he sort of did it on purpose for publicity, maybe? Okay. To uh, help Help fun Lollapalooza. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Body Count, the self-titled Body Count. And this I included because this was kind of famous when I was in high school. Okay. So on the back, there's a track listing, and Cop Killer is listed on the back. Yep. And okay. on the front, the tattoo uh, on the guy says Cop Killer on the original okay. copy. And then after the whole uh, kerfuffle with Tipper and everything... Yeah, um, they switched it to it, the the tattoo just said body count, and they replaced the cop killer song with some song interesting enough with uh, Joe Biafra. Oh, okay, nice. Okay, butthole surfers, electric Larry Land. I don't remember what that one was. That's right after I stopped listening to them after um, Double Live and uh, Hairway to Steven, and that's kind yeah, of it's, it's not a great album. The the yeah. 
the original cover is a pencil impairing, impaling an ear. But okay, yeah. What I yep, included I it for is because what they switched it to is just a headshot of a squirrel, which is great. <laughs> and they had the name asterisked out, so it was like B, lots of asterisks, S, lots of asterisks, and that was the front cover. I thought, oh wow, that's yeah, they were they're brilliant. Yeah, nice. it's great. It's great. Okay, uh, two more. The Strokes is this it? Another one. I don't know. I didn't know that they changed that one. They they changed That's a good one. things. The, the original it was a uh, like a naked butt with a leather glove kind of slapping it. Okay, switched it to some spirals of subatomic particles or something kind of very. Oh, okay. I've only seen the leather glove butt one. But going back to the cop thing, they had a song. Uh, they also switched. They had a song called New York City Cops, and it, it went New York City Cops. They ain't too bright. But it was right after nine eleven. So they went ahead and took that song off, thinking it would not be. Oh, okay, okay. And then okay. finally, um, la- last one, Sujan Stevens, uh, the Illinois record. I don't know. Was there anything with Blagojevich on there or something? No, no. It had. Don't know. It had Superman on it, and so. Oh, and trademarked. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. like a drawing of Superman, but DC saw it and got uh, upset about it, so they just replaced Superman with a, a balloon sticker. <laughs> What, was Superman on there because Smallville is in Illinois? What would the reason be? I don't know. Is that Metropolis City in Illinois? No, Metropolis is in is New York. Um, it, it, the, it, the Metropolis, when you're driving from Colorado to Georgia, you go through a town called Metropolis. It's either in Iowa or Illinois uh, or something like that. Yeah, that could know. be it. Huh. That's, guess, that's interesting. Yeah. But anyways... It, they just stuck a balloon sticker on there. Okay. And I got one more fun fact. It's not really a quiz thing, but okay. Nirvana's Nevermind, Walmart and Kmart was going to uh, not carry it because, of course, famous cover. It had the mm-hmm. little baby swimming after the dollar. You could see his penis. And so uh, Nirvana said, okay, we're going to compromise with you, and we'll put a sticker over the penis that says, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile. And so <laughs> Walmart came out and just said, okay, you could just put it out as is. <laughs> I think they were selling enough records where Walmart and Kmart were like, okay. Oh, man. That's great. So, um, and I, I know, to tie the bubble surfers to that, did you, did you know that uh, Kurt Cobain and Dibby Haynes actually used to party a lot? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like Kurt Cobain would be too uh, melodramatic for Gibby. They were they got along very well. Um, I'm not through that part of the book yet, but it sounds like they were pretty they were they were pretty fun. Uh, they were pretty good drug buddies. But I, you know, I don't want to spread rumors, uh, so let me get through that part of the book. <laughs> allegedly, 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 allegedly. I don't know if either of them ever did any drugs. Well, you did very good on the quiz. I, I uh, there's some of uh, these I thought were, were were pretty hard, but you you got most of them. So that's going to bring us right into our turntable talk. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind Alright, so for my turntable talk this week, I'm going to go with the uh, band cover theme that I went with the quiz and talk about the ultimate band cover uh, holy grail of horrible art uh, album artwork, with, which is, of course... The Beatles' Butcher cover on Yesterday and Today. 
And so I spent some time researching. It's kind of got a fascinating history, all sorts of weird stuff that kind of made it what it is. But um, I figure most people who are listening to this are probably pretty familiar with the cover. But it's a um, it's a U.S. album that was a mashup of some U.K. Um, non-album tracks and some singles and some stuff that was not easy to get in the U.S. called Yesterday and Today. And the emphasis being on yesterday, which is their big hit at the time. And the album cover art when it first came out was the four Beatles uh, sitting in white lab coats with uh, doll parts with cigarette burns all over them and raw meat. And it's just really <laughs> weird. And they're, they're grinning. And it's just a bizarre cover. And I'll explain uh, more about why it got so famous. So the image is actually the brainchild of um, Robert Whitaker, who is a 26-year-old Australian photographer who is really into surrealism. And he'd worked with the Beatles quite a bit, and they really liked him. He'd done the, um, the John Lennon picture with the dandelion over his eye. Do you know that one? Yep. Yeah. You see it very often like in posters and on people's shirts and stuff like that. This Whitaker guy got the idea that he was going to do a photo shoot that was a comment about the absurdity of rock star fandom. And so the Beatles had were supposed to be recording a movie, and it kind of fell through. So they had a few months really to themselves, the first few months they'd had in early 66. Uh, and they were apparently just really into pop culture stuff and reading a lot and listening to a lot of music. And, and that's right, you know, we're talking right after Rubber Soul, right before Revolver, that period. So immensely important time in their career. So they went to this photo shoot, and... Robert Whitaker had this idea for a triptych that would go on an album. It was going to be called a Some Ambulant Adventure. And it was supposed to be have the Beatles. It's, it's nuts. It's supposed to have the Beatles with halos and all this, all this kind of irreverent take on religious icons. And, did, this, uh, uh, did this happen before or after John said that they were more popular than it Jesus? It happened three months, two or three months after he said that, but it okay. happened before. Before that whole thing blew up. Okay, I didn't mean to cut into what you were saying, but no, 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 no. I was going to talk about that. Yeah, he'd already said the thing that they're bigger than than Jesus, but it hadn't that that article where it really caught on fire was not was a few months away. Okay, so the religious aspect didn't really ever come to fruition, which is probably really good for the Beatles uh, in retrospect. (laughs) But when they got to the to the photo shoot which was in chelsea and the photo shoot was may 25th 66 there was sausage links fake teeth raw pork <laughs> glass eyes hammers nails of course lab coats bird cage uh there was actually a severed big pig's head there too as well as doll parts so this guy had really thought this out and so you can see some of these other pictures the the planned pictures he actually did take all three and multiple copies of all three the first photo is it's like a woman kneeling, and she's kind of like genuflecting to the Beatles, and they're <laughs> holding sausage. <laughs> and so that was, and apparently that was going to be inset into a, a picture of a pregnant woman's womb with, uh, with you could see her breast and the big womb, and the Beatles were all in there, and they would be connected by an umbilical cord. I'm not exactly sure how it all worked, but just the woman genuflecting to them with holding sausage links is, is great. Like I said, you can see this. Maybe we'll post post pictures on their website. It's it's nuts. <laughs> the second one, of course, was the the famous butcher cover, 
And the idea, according to the photographer, was that it conveyed that the Beatles were in danger of being dismembered by their celebrity. And so it's, uh, you know, it's the classic photo and they all kind of smile. And, and so the third photo is George Harrison hammering nails into a blissful John Lennon's head. <laughs> smiling away and George got a handful of nails and a hammer and apparently the photographer was going to use some uh, was going to make it so John's face looked kind of like it was wood I don't know exactly what that meant and like I said the the, the Beatles were going to all have halos in all these pictures and they were going to be kind of framed out in windows for whatever reason only the butcher cover without all the religious stuff made it to, to the label there's varying accounts of like how much who pushed for what? Paul says he pushed for it because it was a commentary on the Vietnam War. Okay. Uh, and that's what the Capitol label, label head Alan Livingston said, too, that Paul was really the, the one who was pushing for it. John said they would just love the guy. They loved the surrealism and the black humor and the satire. And so he said he was really the one who was kind of pushing for it because they were just bored of being the mop yeah. tops. Yeah. Normal. Which totally makes sense. Yep. Um, so John later said that he was the instigator for it. George said he kind of just went along with it. He said, you know, in retrospect, he thought it was kind of childish and silly, but at the time it seemed kind of hip. And apparently George Martin said that was the first big argument he had with the band, saying that he thought it was in poor taste and made them look like they were crazy madmen. But for whatever reason, it went to Capitol, and Capitol took that middle, the, the butcher picture, Butcher, butcher cover, and they actually used it for the paperback writer single, single in England, and for some advertisements in Mojo Magazine to to no big hubbub. It was fine, and so okay. in England it was not a big deal. So they said, "Well, we'll go ahead and we'll put it on this yesterday and today." Now there are some theories that it was a commentary on Capital taking these English records and putting them to America, all sliced up and dismembered to make money. Uh, the photographer says that's just just crap, but that's one of the theories I guess people had. Okay. So bear with me. Here's where it gets interesting. What happened is they printed about three quarters of a million copies, and they sent sixty thousand out to the media and some retail contacts and uh, DJs and stuff like that. So immediately DJs got this and retailers got it. And said we cannot put this out. This is crazy. It looks weird. It's the Beatles. People are going to hate it. And so almost the next day, the Capitol called for a massive recall, which they even called Operation Retrieve. They sent all these letters out saying this was supposed to be pop art satire, but apparently it's not working. So they tried to get all the records back to everybody they sent to. Some stores sold it, not many. A lot of the DJs and stuff kept it, but most of them were returned. And so they had all these records, you know, whatever was left of the 60,000 that were sent back and plus the quarter of a million copies, they needed to figure out what they were going to do with it. At first, they just threw them away. They dumped 50,000 copies into a landfill and started putting the actual vinyl into a different sleeve. And they decided that was not time and money efficient. And so what they did is they just took a different cover, which is the boys um, sitting around a trunk... And there's a steamer trunk, and, and I think Ringo's sitting in it. And so they put this um, cover, uh, like a paste-over paste, paste over cover on top of that. They don't cover the whole album. They just paste over some of that. And it saved a lot of time and money, and they did. They got the album back out five days later than scheduled, but they got it back out. But 
word got around about this hidden cover, and so people went crazy for the record. And so it shot to number one in the Billboard charts. I mean, it might have been that way anyways. It was going to be the Beatles. The recall and and all the stuff ended up costing the label $200,000. And it's apparently the only Beatles album that lost money for capital. But it was still number one, and people still loved it. And they really loved that forbidden aspect once they heard that there was a uh, cover pasted over it of this, you know, meat and baby parts. What people would do is they would get it and they would try to steam off the cover or try to peel it off. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So when you get into the collectible aspect of it, there's three states of this cover. There's the first state, which is an original cover with no paste over. So those are the ones that got through on those few stores or the ones that the DJs or media people didn't return. And so that's, of course, the rarest. The next rarest is the second state, which is it still has the trunk cover on the Yesterday and Today album, but uh, it hasn't been peeled off or touched at all. And there's whole websites dedicated to helping you tell if you have a Yesterday and Today with the butcher cover under it. But basically, the biggest key is there's a black triangle by Ringo's elbow, which is actually Ringo's turtleneck on the butcher cover. So if you have a copy of Yesterday and Today and you're not sure, you look for that black triangle. There's a few other clues and stuff like that. And so that's second state. And then the third state is the butcher cover, but it's clearly been peeled off. Like the the first uh, paste over has been cleared off. So first, second, and third. First first rates or first states have sold for one hundred twenty five thousand dollars as well, as early as last year. Third states can go anywhere from. Uh, high hundreds to a few thousand dollars. You can even find some if they're really in bad shape for for not not much. If you over, I mean, it's over a hundred dollars, but stuff like that. Uh, there was ten times as many mono copies as stereo, so the stereo copy is way more valuable. And then the additional layer on that is that Alan Livingston, who I talked about being the president of Capitol Records, apparently he kept twenty four first state butcher covers for his private collection. He sold these in eighty seven at a Beatles fest and they were sealed pristine copies of the butcher cover and so these are called the Livingston butchers and they get ton high high money um, apparently one sold for $40,000 and then another funny thing is that there is a 2003 Chicago taping of Antiques Roadshow and somebody ended up bringing original first state stereo copy and remember the stereos are the more valuable ones Apparently, he bought it the day it came out at Sears. Uh, that was one of the stores where it slipped through, and uh, that was valued at you know uh, $12,000, and, and uh, he had no idea. It still had it was opened and played, but it still had the original shrink, shrink wrap. I, I just find the whole story just kind of crazy and fascinating, and it's one of those things where mistakes or controversial stuff just kind of get made into legend and lore, and it just kind of perpetuates stuff, and so you have this... Uh, this, this great, iconic album art that was never supposed to be. In fact, kind of a personal story is our local record store sometimes does a Halloween show. And so I think I was talking to you, just trying to figure out what, what I should go as. And I think you mentioned you should go as the butcher cover. So I really <laughs> wanted to do that. My wife said that was not going to be okay. So I, we ended up going as the Noi albums. Like I was Noi, 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 which was fine and fun. But, uh, I, I mean, I went to Goodwill and had the baby parts and everything. Oh, another thing I didn't mention is when EMI and Capital came back and said, we got to pull this, 
Apparently, the Beatles didn't fight it. They were, Brian Epstein and them were in the middle of contact, contract negotiations. And so apparently they weren't going to use, you know, even though they were probably the world's biggest band at the time, I'm sure they were, but they weren't going to use, they weren't going to go to bat for this. They just kind of said, that's fine, recall it, do whatever. And so uh, uh, I'm ready to listen to some songs now, though. Perfect. I'm going to kick it off today with a song. I'm going to play it right now, and let's just play it, and then at the end I'll I'll let you know what little I know of it. All right. Here we go. was uh, Sharon Cash with the song Fever. Uh, Fever, um, you may, you definitely don't know this, is one of my top, my favorite songs of all time. Uh, Little Early John did it originally. Every version is is really good. Uh, that one and Dream a Little Dream of Me are maybe two of my two favorite songs ever. But anyway, that is by Sharon Cash. I cannot find any information on this at all. Uh, I have, I used to have the 45 of it, um, but I gave it to somebody. Probably should not have done that. I think it was on James <laughs> Brown's label, but now I have it on a on a compilation by uh, from a website called Soul Sides. They oh, cool, did cool. a they did a compilation album. It's really good, and that's the first track on it. It's I think it's great. I really like it a lot. 
Um, and I've never, I never hear it. Nobody ever talks about it. Uh, again, no, I don't know when it was recorded, uh, probably early 70s, uh, but by the sound, but I'm not sure of much information on it at all. I think with my second song, which will come at the end, I think I make up for it because I have a lot of information on that one. So, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and, and cut it on over to you uh, for your two songs. I, I think right. the, the thing about that version that I really love is those kind of raunchy, distorted guitars with kind of... The, the bongos and the real upbeat drums like the that combination kind of just elevates that song yeah that is a that is a is an awesome song okay so <laughs> my my pick is a is kind of a strange one it's by a guy named Mike Mullius and the name of the song is Forty Days of Rain it is a Christian psychedelic folk song so I'm gonna go ahead and play that for you now and we'll talk about it in just a second. Yes, I know that you found me in the rainbow Oh, but did you know I was trying to cash in my pot of gold Oh, yeah No one didn't even pay any attention to the way the wind blows Oh, I'm talking about the silver lining Where your papa don't shout Son, what you need I'm talking about After whatever's left, after 40 days of rain. Yes, I know that you met me in the graveyard. Oh, my baby didn't believe I was waiting for this ancient train. No one even got to tell me about little in love. I'm talking about silver lining where nothing gets lost. Everything is clean. Almost ever left. We'll need to find it. Almost ever left. Half 40 days of rain. Talking about the ever after, oh, for seven left, after 40 days of rain. Oh, now you're gone and you left me here in the ocean. And I really don't know how I'm gonna make it as a stone. It makes me sad to think. Never got to tell me about the way the wind blows. Oh, I'm talking about the silver lining where a hand will reach out and take your change. I'm gonna shout it out. All about the ever after. Oh, what's ever left? Out for the days of rain. Come on, shout it out. All about the ever after. And so, like I said, that was Mike Molius with 40 Days of Rain. That came out in 69 on a label called uh, Uni. 
He is best known for a scream he does that Beck sampled at the beginning of a song called Odile called Lord Only Knows. Beck even called the demo of that song Milius, like his last name. And the scream is awesome. And, and I actually went ahead and recorded that. So I'll play that for you guys right now. So go ahead and take a listen, see if you recognize it. That scream was, was sampled by Beck. And so that's probably his, his most claim to fame. And that's on his website, is that he was sampled by Beck. Anyways, the song I played is called 40 Days of Rain. It's just a track I heard on a, a mixtape or something somewhere. I don't. I, I, I like that song enough. And then I went out and got the record. The record's really good. It's, it's weird. At times, he kind of sounds like Bob Dylan. And it's, it's definitely of that late 60s, early 70s hippie commune type stuff. But it has more kind of psychedelic flourishes. He's got a Facebook on his on his website. He said Pete Seeger covered a song. I couldn't find any more about what song it was or anything like that. He also said he was apparently instrumental in bringing karaoke to America uh, with <laughs> how it was licensed, like the licensing procedures. I mean, I hate to be short on information, but yeah. the whole record's great. I love that song. It's um, the line about getting left in the ocean. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, and it's, you know, it's a little bit about Noah's Ark, I guess, but it's a it's a really cool song, and it's one of those ones I think is is great. And it's worth hearing, and you probably won't hear it unless you seek it out. The record arts is kind of nuts too. It's like a cartoon drawing, and there's Jesus on the cross, and there's like a policeman, and it's just weird. Of course, you you can see that on our on our uh, our website. We post all the, yeah. re- the record covers, but uh, you should definitely check it out. And uh, great song. And Mike Molius, Forty Days of Rain. Can um, you spell? Can you spell his last name? That one's hard. M I L L I U S. My second song is by um, a duo called Dillard and Clark, and that's of course Gene Clark of the Birds and Doug Dillard, who was in the Dillards and was a kind of a a famous bluegrass uh, banjo player uh, virtuoso. They put out a record called The Fantastic Expedition of Dillard and Clark in '68. Is on AM Records. And this song is called Out on the Side. And it's one of my all time favorite songs. And so let me go ahead and throw that on for you. And there could be at any moment a change. And if perhaps to put us down. I won't act like I've seen something strange Maybe I just won't make a sound But when the door closes before my eyes Oh, I will cry Just to know you are going to stay Not the feeling of love when it flows. I hope I can lose that much pride. And if it should come the time when we lose, no 
line And I've watched your thoughts stray into dreams When you're not satisfied But if the door closes before my side and and again that's you know it's one of those songs that often gives me chills when i'm listening to it and i just feel like it's just one of the greatest songs gene clark had been in and out of the birds at that point he had a solo record which is also fantastic it's gene clark with the godson brothers but for all intents and purposes it was a solo record it wasn't a it wasn't a commercial success and it got released right at the same time as the birds younger than yesterday which was a big success and he was kind of getting edged out of the birds, even though at one point he was he was the primary songwriter in the birds and wrote Eight Miles High and the, you know a lot of their big hits. He was he wouldn't tour. He was afraid of flying. Sounds like he was not always the most social guy. And so he hooked up after his first solo record. He hooked up with Doug Dillard, who was you know fantastic banjo player. And put out they put out a couple records, but the first one, Fantastic Expedition of Dillard Clark, is is one of my all time favorite records. It's just just uh, a beautiful kind of country rock bluegrass. Gene Clark songwriting is is probably at the top of his game. It's got a lot of kind of those classic introspective lyrics like Out on the Side has, but um, it also has more kind of standard type type songs too. And Doug Dillard is good enough to know when he should not be overplaying. I think bluegrass, at least in my opinion, a lot of times those guys just overplay. It's just not. It's fine for bluegrass music, but it's not conducive for listening like a like a rock record is. And there's none of that. It's every flourish is perfect. It's just a, a beautiful album. And you have that record, don't you, Joe? I do. Yeah. And to me, it's just so bizarre that Gene Clark has not really been recognized all that much. It seems like maybe the last fifteen years or so, there are a lot of. Um, music fans or music nerds or whatever whatever they and we are um, that have sort of noticed this guy and his solo records like White Light um, is just yeah. amazing. And he, a lot of people are now kind of saying, okay, maybe he was as good or better than Graham Parsons, who is the, another major figure out of the birds. But 
great, great songwriter. Um, he died in, I think, 91. He's amazing. You should look him up. He also has kind of a, a psychedelic country album, sort of, called No Other, that um, took me a long time to get into, but I like it a lot now. I like that one, but not as much as the Dillard and Clark record or the, um, the with the Gotson Brothers. Well, White Light's great, too. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, he's he's amazing. He really is. And again, I think he is a great artist too. I think a lot of people know, but it's he's he's definitely underappreciated, and this is definitely underappreciated. And it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things I had notes is it seems like certain artists kind of go through renaissances, renaissance, renaissances, resurgence. Harry, yes, a resurgence. Harry Nielsen seemed to have one. Bruce Springsteen had one. Warren Zevon had one. Yeah. And so it seems like all of a sudden they're popular again, or somebody makes a documentary about them or something. Yep. And um, they're appreciated. Gene Clark, it just does not seem to, I mean, he just doesn't get the buzz you think he would. Um, no, and even the people that know his name and, and have respect for him or say that they do, they, don't, they haven't really listened to um, a lot of his stuff, it seems. Like when I when I do talk to people who know him, start talking about albums and songs, and it, they don't know as much as, as I wish they did because it's great. He's amazing. Yeah, and and Eight Miles High is, is another one of those those tracks where if, if we got to pick a third song, which is a pretty well-known song by a great band that you think should be even more well-known, I could throw Eight Miles High in that category because that song is just mind-blowing at times. So that's my pick, Dillard and Clark, out on the side. And, Joe, it is your turn. Okay. My my final song of the of the show is fairly well-known artist. I know, um, maybe I'm stretching this. Uh, it's a band. Uh, they recorded this in 1970. They are called the Rolling Stones. Who? Uh, yeah, oh. <laughs> right. Um, so this is a song they did in 1970, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it after we play this song. Well, I'm Just came into town
should have mentioned that this was an NSFW song. This is, um, I'll call it Schoolboy Blues. It's known by another <laughs> name, and it is uh, pretty raunchy. And I, when we were talking about this show, doing the show, I mentioned I, I really don't want to go blue. I don't want to talk, you know, I don't want to use any foul language. And then I, one of my picks, my first picks is this song, just because yeah, I wanted to right hear it. the line there. Yeah, I really, uh, yeah, not a good job. Anyway, this was, this was a 1970 song from the Rolling Stones. Uh, they had a movie of the same name, the the name that I didn't say. They don't have a movie called Schoolboy Blues. That movie was was never released. Uh, they was they featured some topless women, them uh, the Rolling Stones doing drugs, and so they didn't want it released because of the debauchery involved. And they sued, I think the the movie company for releasing it. And the ruling said that the director had to be at each and every showing. Of uh, you know any screening, um, so it was never actually released. Wow! And yeah, but uh, the song itself is different than the movie. I just was looking into the movie as well. But the song, the Rolling Stones were trying in 1970. They were trying to start their own record label, which they did. But Decca had them under contract for one more song, and this is what they gave them. <laughs> uh, they, they and it's they didn't release it. Um, they released it eventually in 1980. But only in Germany, only as part of a four record set as a bonus record. There is a 45 that was pressed, but I don't know how it was released. And it went under a different name, even like it didn't have the Rolling Stones on it. It was it was titled the Cocksucker Blues. Or I'll go ahead and do that. And the credits went to uh, <laughs> the name of the person who allegedly did this was Nanker Felge um, <laughs> instead of the Rolling Stones. Now, the, the copy that I have is a bootleg. It's a 12-inch with on red vinyl. It's it's clearly a bootleg, but it sounds pretty good. Uh, it's the only one I could find. The other ones are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So it was a uh, one of those contract commitments like Lou Reed had when he did Metal Machine Music. I think Phil Spector had one when he did a song called The Screw. I think Van Morrison did something like that, too. It's uh, when you have to do something for a record company and you don't want to, You I guess you could really oh, screw man. over. Yeah, that, that, that's... Uh, that's got to be a turntable talk one time. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, so that's the one that I played. I'm trying to think if there's... Oh, there's one other thing about this. So the cool thing, I had never knew this. The track itself is actually a parody of a Dr. John song. Really? Um, I've what never song? heard this. It's called Lonesome Guitar Strangler, and it's on Babylon, which is now what I've listened to quite a few times. So I went and listened to it again, and now that I know that, it is so obvious I'll post the YouTube video of this, and um, if you play them together, the first, like, 30 seconds are nearly identical. Wow. It's funny. That's nuts. 
Yeah, I don't know if there was some kind of animosity between it's, Mick Jagger and Dr. John, but whatever. It sounds great. Uh, both of them are good. For what it is, is it's a pretty good song. I mean, it really, yeah. you know, it's it's not like a throwaway track. I mean, it is, but it's not, you know, it clearly couldn't go on one of their records, but it's, you know, it's the Stones kind of in their prime, right around their prime. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. They're doing better stuff than most bands are doing. So, And they, they stayed their prime for another, uh, what, 74, 75, 76-ish, I would say. Um, yeah, they... Yeah, they had a nice run there. So I think it's time for the answers to the audio quiz, if you're ready. So what yeah. I'm going to do is I'm going to play the five tracks again. What I want is the artist, title, and theme. Gosh. Okay. Question one. Do you think these are the um, first one was the Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. and I wrote down. I want to say it's Holiday. It is not Holiday. Is it Bodies? Um, nope. Oh gosh. Let's keep moving. Uh, we'll okay. keep moving along, and we'll come back to what what that what the answers are. I just want to see if you can get some of them. Um, yeah. If not, the second one was Led Zeppelin. Is it Barnyard Stomp? It is, yes, off of Led Zeppelin 3. Yep. Uh, the third one, it sounded vaguely familiar, but I didn't get it. Okay, so the third song was, it's The Police, with a song okay. called Demolition Man. Track four, what do you have? It's Jesus and Mary Chain. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say, it's called Dark Skies... Maybe that was the name of the record. I don't. I don't know the track. Okay. Something about rain, maybe. It's happy when it rains. 
Happy when it rains. See, I thought that, but I I started thinking that I was going to sound foolish because that's a garbage song. Oh, yes. No, no. It is. I mean, it totally is, yeah. Uh, but no, it's um, Happy When It Rains, same, same title, I believe. Okay, Happy When It Rains. Okay. And the last song is The Pixies, Where's My Mind. There you go. And do you want to try again on the Sex Pistols one? It's not God Save the Queen. Nope, it's Pretty Vacant. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. So of those songs, what's the theme? You have the Sex Pistols, you have the Police, the Pixies, uh, who else? Jesus and Mary Jane. Um, who is it? Dang. What's yeah, what's the theme? Can you give me a hint? Does it have to do with the band, the song, the album, the lyrics? It is band-related only. Um, it might help you out if I added, if there were more bands in this, they would be the Eagles, uh, Fleetwood Mac, not Husker Du, and not the Smiths. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? They got put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year? Bands that broke up. And after an extended period of time, reunited, even though no one Oh, gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the, for the most part, kind of an acrimonious breakup. Um, Led Zeppelin was different. Somebody died, um, and they were still buddies, I think. They still worked together. But then they yeah, ended up getting back together. I should have got that with the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac, because those are both kind of famous on that. That's the quiz. So those are the five questions and the answer. And that's our show for today, I believe. Good. Unless you have some more information to throw out. Oh, one thing I do want to say is that Joe and I don't tell each other what songs we're going to play beforehand to kind of kind of keep it fun. And so we, we kind of, so when if it comes like those are the four weirdest songs we've ever kind of come up with, it's, it's just kind of random for that. I was thinking that today with our Christian psychedelic folk song <laughs> and Ro- Rolling Stones, Inappropriate Blues Dirge and Dillard and Clark and, and Fever, just, just four random songs. And the other yeah. thing is, we always want to say support artists, support record stores, go buy records, go to go to shows. You know, it's real important that we keep the music we love going and support the people who make it and make it available to us. Thank you for listening. Uh, hit us up on, um, gosh, that sounds horrible. Uh, contact us on uh, social media. I've been listening to too many other podcasts, I think, to say hit there us up. There you go. Yeah. Uh, touch, us, touch us gently on Twitter. <laughs> is that good? Yeah, send us send some smoke signals on social media. So, Stroke um, or poke us on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I prefer the stroke. I did. By the by the way, this is a total aside. This will probably be cut out, but last night at a bar, um, I played Clarence Carter's Stroke, and it's been years since I've done that on the jukebox. Oh, what a great song. That was one of my classic karaoke songs. Yeah, it's a good um, one. There's you can you were there for this, but I did stroking at a I think Carol's in Chicago. Yeah. And then two nights later, I'm at a another, and I barely you know I was I was having a good time, so I don't remember it real well. But two nights later, I uh, was at another bar, and somebody's like, "Hey, that's the guy that did stroking." <laughs> that's fantastic. Good. Yeah. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 